0: Welcome to another episode of Money Wisdom with Provident. And today, I am very excited to have a very special guest uh, with me. I have Dr. Marlena Lee from Dimensional Fund Advisors. She's the Global Head of Investment Solutions. And she's here with us today to share with us about uh, Dimensional's approach to investing And I'm very excited to hear more from her uh, over the course of the next 30 minutes to an hour. So uh, Dr. Malina, maybe you can just share a little bit about yourself for the viewers?
1: Sure, absolutely. So first, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to join you today for the podcast. Um, Yeah, so I've been with Dimensional now for almost 16 years. Um, I did my PhD from Chicago. A lot of people at Dimensional uh, with ties to Chicago. Um, yeah. And actually, I was introduced. I was, I was working with Professor Fama. Uh, when I was doing my PhD there. So when I told him I didn't want to do academ- academia, I didn't want to be a professor, he helped connect me and introduce me to Dimensional. So it's, it's been um, a very happy journey for me. Um, started out in the research team at Dimensional. Probably did that for about a decade or so before we decided to split off make the investment solutions team Um, there were the investment solutions team is very focused on how to translate a lot of these financial concepts to lots of different types of clients Mm -hmm. um you know kind of drilling it down bringing it to life analogy stories that kind of thing
0: wow very exciting stuff i guess just one more question before Mm -hmm. we get into things what was it like working with professor farmer i think (laughs) many of the viewers would be very curious to know
1: (laughs) He, um, I learned so much, I mean, especially about finance, of course, but honestly about communication. Um, Mm -hmm. he, the way he taught his courses in my mind is really how do I, how I try to, to communicate with clients as well of, um, and, and investors of, you kind of have to let them come to you and meet you halfway so the way professor fama would teach is he would have most of the like just tons and tons of homework of course so you do you have to do all the reading and prep work ahead of time and then in the actual classroom it's much more of a discussion and um he would ask questions and so i i I think that that's becoming a lot more common it, as a teaching method of kind of like the inverse of rather than having people lecture to you, it's much more two way communication, which mm, I see to me is is hugely important, of course, when talking to any anyone. So yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was a great experience.
0: Great, great. All right, so I guess we'll start with you know uh, the topic of the day about dimensional and. I think Dimensional, uh, if you you know look at the website, if you read about them, they talk a lot about these dimensions of return, and obviously that's in the name, Dimensional. So maybe you can share with us uh, what these uh, dimensions of returns are for stocks. I believe there are four of them.
1: Four or, or five, depending on how you count. Right. <laughs> um, because... So, uh, yes, a lot of it is is based on some of the work from professors, fama and French, and they have something called the five factor model. so depending on how you want to count,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, sometimes the market is considered one of them. So of course, there's a premium between investing in stocks and bonds. Mm-hmm. So and most people kind of treat that as a throwaway, but actually at dimensional we we pay a lot of attention to how can we fully capture. The market premium by paying attention to um, cash drag or even hidden cash in the portfolios because sometimes there's there's times when certain stocks can behave like cash right so so being very careful about how to fully capture the equity premium is the first part and then after that not all stocks are created the same um, so just like in in bonds you expect different bonds to have different expected returns It makes a lot of sense that different stocks should have different expected returns. So then how do you identify them? And there we rely on some economic theories to to tease out. We think that things that are related to price and things that are related to expected future cash flows are ways to differentiate between expected returns. So how that comes about is we think small caps have higher expected returns than large caps. Um, We think... Stocks with low relative prices have higher expected returns than, than those with high relative prices. So that's value versus growth. Um, on the cash flow side of things, companies with higher levels of profitability tend to also have higher expected returns than those with low profitability. And then finally, this is why I threw in the fifth one, um, there's asset growth or investment is another... Variable that helps you determine expected cash flows um, mm-hmm. that gets accrued to investors. So a company with very high levels of investment required to sustain a certain level of profitability, they also that just means less cash flows to investors, mm-hmm. and that also reduces returns. So there's a lot of different variables that um, the academic literature. And then also get confirmed by you know very like as much data as we can get our hands on, right? So market data from all around the world support the idea that there yes there are differences in expected returns, and there are reliable ways of identifying that through size, relative price, profitability, and asset growth are different ways to identify high and low expected returns across stocks.
0: Mm, thank you for that. Very insightful. So you mentioned um, the sort of the market premium Mm -hmm. and that stocks uh, should be returning more than bonds. Um, Is that akin to the equity risk premium, Mm -hmm. in your opinion? And uh, sort of what's Dimensional's take on how the equity risk premium is measured?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, it's the equity risk premium. Um, Makes a lot of sense for there to be a premium because clearly if if anyone could just invest in something that's risk-free, um, that they would prefer to do that. And why do they take on additional uncertainty or risk? It's, hopefully, it's because they expect to be compensated. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, we, we think that there's an equity risk premium. It makes tons of sense for that to be expected to be positive every single day. So, um, you know, people, I think, have a high level confidence is, yeah, there's an equity risk premium. But then often what you hear is, oh, but stocks are going to fall, or we should get out of stocks. So there is, even though I think people have a, uh, understand the notion of an equity risk premium, this idea that it, it really should be positive every single day is something that I do think takes a little bit of um, education and and almost leap of faith in how markets work Mm -hmm. to believe it every single day. How is it measured? Um, For that, you can look at the difference in returns, long-term average returns between stocks and and bonds or um, some other risk-free type of investment. And you do see over long periods that there is stocks do outperform bonds exactly by how much there's a lot of uncertainty around that you can measure um, how much they have outperformed in the past but then understanding what did people expect before it actually happened is a slightly different thing so we have a very high level of confidence is positive mm-hmm. is it like that, that is much, there's a lot of uncertainty about these premiums. So um, while I am 100% confident, or at least 99.5% confidence positive, I can't tell you if it's five or six or seven.
0: All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's uh, very insightful indeed. Um, So then going back to sort of these premiums and these dimensions of return, which uh, in, I guess, Dimensional's view, uh, has the largest influence on portfolio returns. Then you mentioned the market. You mentioned small over large profitability and price.
1: Mm-hmm. So in terms of of like volatility. So so as you're looking at the return of a portfolio, it there is a lot of volatility. There's a lot of noise in returns, and most of that is probably driven by the market return. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of volatility in stocks. Um, but then there's, outside of just, like, how is the market performing overall, people also assess, like, how is it, how are different stocks or different portfolios performing relative to benchmarks? Mm-hmm. There, that's where the different factor premiums might come into play. Um, so it, it, it kind of depends on what's your measure, but over, overall, if you're just looking at absolute returns, that's definitely mostly driven by the market premium, Um, probably the biggest premium as well. And then after that, I would say, um, in terms of magnitudes, value and profitability tend to be somewhat similar-ish. Like I would just throwing out numbers, like you know, somewhere between the three p- to four percent range on that, mm-hmm. and then the size premium is probably the the smaller of the of the two. So certainly still important, especially because there are interactions between how these premiums behave. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the order I'd say: probably market value and prof, and then size.
0: All right. So I guess if we need returns, we should at least make sure we have some stocks in the <laughs> portfolio. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, maybe we can uh, take a deeper dive into sort of the nuts and bolts of portfolio management a little. And so I'm wondering when Dimensional is um, constructing a new portfolio or looking at a portfolio that you're managing, uh, how do you think about layering these uh, premiums uh, for creating a portfolio? Mm-hmm. Which one sort of is your starting point and And then after that, how do you build the final portfolio. Right.
1: So um, so yeah, how do you layer them on? I think all of them contain information about expected returns. So you want to use all the information you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I mentioned this earlier of there is some interaction between them. So The interaction is actually quite important to pay attention to. So, um, and not even just about the premiums, but also just how costly is it to trade. So liquidity also differs depending on market cap segments. All of that gets um, considered in building a portfolio. So let's just take a core portfolio for example, because I think that that's where we try to bring all of our best thinking. Um, and have the fewest constraints in terms of how we design a portfolio. So a core portfolio, just for listeners who might not be aware, um, is a market-wide portfolio. So it has everything from mega caps all the way down to micro caps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from within that, we do we basically are asking which stocks have the highest expected returns, which stocks have lower expected returns. And then we, we basically tilt. So we want to hold... Most stocks, because they all provide um, the equity premium, Mm -hmm. for example, and also provide diversification. But because we're wanting to add value over just the overall market cap-weighted portfolio, what we want to do is basically, in a very careful way, overweight those with higher expected returns and underweight those with lower expected returns. We use all the variables to decide... What to overweight and what right. to underweight. So it's not really the case where we'll say let's do value first and then profitability next. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all considered together. Right. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, it's just we, we we take into account all of them, but it's not all of them are as um, will be as important in certain segments. So mm-hmm. for example, if you take the profitability premium. Mm-hmm. The profitability premium tends to, or like the most profitable stocks tend to show up more in large caps and in growth names. Mm -hmm. So profitability, you can push a lot harder on the profitability premium in large caps, Mm -hmm. but then within small caps, it's more, you can push more towards value. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by there is some interplay, some interaction between like how these premiums show up in different parts of the market. So that's you have to take into account all of it.
0: All right. Thank you for that very insightful sharing about uh, portfolio construction. I think uh, right now we might want to move on to the hot topic of the day, which is fixed income, which is something that, you know, everybody's talking about because yields are so much higher and yeah. now everybody's excited about bonds again after having no returns in well not no returns but no yields in bonds for yes. the last 10 years or so so uh, dimensional also has a couple of um, dimensions or premiums that mm-hmm. they uh, look at in fixed income maybe can you share what these premiums are in fixed income?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just like in stocks, there's differences in expected returns. You expect that in, in bonds as well. Mm-hmm. So there, of course, we get to see more information about prices through yield curves. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike stocks where we would love to be able to see, for example, exactly what the yield to maturity is on a stock, but that doesn't really work so well in stocks but in fixed income we get to see yields maturities in fact we get to see entire yield curves so we think that market prices tell us information about expected returns and in fixed income that's through the yield curve so what we what we think is that if you just look at where yield curves are today that, that contains a lot of information about expected returns. So if yield curves are upwardly sloped, for example, then that means you're. we believe that there's a term premium associated with going longer um, and holding longer duration bonds. So that would be the first part. If yield curves are flat or inverted like they are in many markets around the world today, mm-hmm. then actually there's not so much of a... Uh, um, incentive to go longer duration and actually you want to be shorter mm-hmm. so that would be the first premium just the term premium sometimes it's you know not necessarily a premium sometimes <laughs> you actually want to be shorter right. like like today right. um, so that's the first one the second one is how do you decide where you want to position your credit allocation so of course in fixed income, you have everything from govies to corporate and then within corporate, lots of different credit qualities, um, all the way down to, you know, you can invest in junk bonds or, or um, low investment or below investment grade. So again, just like on the variable or just like on the term side, mm-hmm. we think that there's a credit premium. So mm-hmm. if you just overall, a lower credit quality bond tends to have a higher average return than a higher credit quality bond. Mm -hmm. Corporates tend to have higher returns than govs, for Mm -hmm. example. But how much higher? um, You can can look at market prices to get information on that. So when the yields between, let's just say corporate and governments are wider, Mm -hmm. that's actually when you get paid more to take on additional credit risk. So how did all of these things get implemented in the portfolios is we'll look at yield curves all around the world every single day. And we'll ask, where are we getting paid? Where where is the highest expected return within the constraints of of a portfolio and try to position ourselves there? So for example, right now, um, we think that some of the highest expected returns will tend to be on the shorter side of the yield curve. So a lot of the portfolios will be positioned shorter. If mm-hmm. yield curves move and all of a sudden they become more upward sloping, then mm-hmm. the portfolios will want to position longer. So because on the fixed income side, it, it we have more precise information about expected returns because we see all those yield curves, we can actually move the portfolio around to position it for higher expected returns. So on the term premium side, we call that variable maturity mm-hmm. because we're varying the maturity mm-hmm. um, in order to pursue the, the term premium. Right. Similarly for credit, we'll tend to take on more credit risk if credit spreads are wide. Mm-hmm. So that we, w- we would call variable credit. Mm-hmm. So the, the combination of those two things mm-hmm. is how we pursue higher expected returns in, in fixed income.
0: Right. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, you did describe uh, the variable maturity strategy quite uh, in depth in your mm-hmm. previous answer. Just wondering uh, in terms of uh, the variable, c- variable credit uh, strategy, how do you sort of Measure the credit risk? How does Dimensional look at the credit risk of various bonds? Uh, Is it uh, dependent on using the ratings companies or does Dimensional have a different way of viewing credit risk?
1: That's a fantastic question because, of course, most people use fixed income in their portfolios to be the safe part, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to be very... You want to know what risk you're putting into the portfolios. And the way we do that is, again, we rely on market prices. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that that contains all of the information about people's expectations of the credit risk of a bond. Mm-hmm. So the way we do that is we will certainly start with a, a credit rating. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it's Fitch, S&P, et cetera. Um, we'll say, oh, okay, the, the credit rating agency might say this bond is a single A. Mm-hmm. So we'll start there, and but then on top of that, we'll see, okay, here's all of the triple or single A bonds, and are there any outliers? So if it's the case that the rating agency says it's a single A, but the market pricing doesn't look like it's kind of like sticking out like a sore thumb relative to the other single A's, Mm -hmm. then we would take the more conservative of the two. So let's just say S&P says it's a single A, but it's yielding much higher than the rest of its single A buddies. Mm -hmm. Then what that tells us is that the market thinks that there's more risk in that bond. So maybe it's more like a triple B or even Mm -hmm. a double B. So what we would do is we might override with our own internal rating that will be the more conservative of the two. What is it trading like based on its yield characteristics? Um, and then where does that put it relative to its peers based on a rating agency? So there's there's a few different... That's like one example of how we'll use market prices. There are other prices that we will look at besides just its yield. So we'll do um, we'll do news checks, we'll look at CDS levels. We'll, so we'll try and get all of the data that we can right. to make this assessment of where do we think markets are pricing this thing. Um, the one other variable that we added to the process quite recently is we'll look at also just how is the stock of the issuer performing. So that's something where if we see for example the stock plummeting mm-hmm. then and what our research would predict is is its bond would tend to underperform in the near term as well. So mm-hmm. that's another consideration that we'll make when evaluating which particular bonds to buy right now. So lots of different inputs, mm-hmm. um, but all based on the idea of, we think market prices do a good job and we wanna make sure we're extracting the information in market prices.
0: Thank you. Yeah, at Provident, we definitely view fixed income as the safe or the stable part of mm-hmm. our portfolio. So we, we are very uh, glad to hear that you know, Dimensional takes into account all these different factors to yeah. assess credit risk of issuers. Um, I just wanted to, I guess, one more question on fixed income. Uh, a lot of talk uh, about a sort of yield curve and uh, it's been uh, inverted and uh, all that. But does Dimensional uh, ever take into account yield curve shifts in its fixed income strategy? For example, if the yield curve were to uh, just shift upward or shift downward, uh, is that part of Dimensional's? Uh, strategy or or not at all?
1: Yes, in that we... So just how I was describing of, we think that the yield curve tells us information about expected returns. As it changes, we're getting new information. So we want to make sure that we're pulling in yield curves that are current. Mm -hmm. So as yield curves move, we're recalculating expected returns every day. Mm -hmm. And... If the yield curve shifts, then that might mean what we currently hold in the portfolio. There might be opportunities to increase expected returns by selling some lower expected return bonds, buying mm-hmm. some some different ones. So the movement in yield curves is something that we'll take into account. Um, and I think that that's actually the some of the biggest value adds because the stuff we do in fixed income is... it's. It's not, it's not like there's no magic to it, right? There's, there's, we look at yield curves. We calculate expected returns based on those yield curves. And it's, you know, things like term and credit are fairly well known in fixed income. But where we add value is through the constant monitoring of how are all of these yield curves changing every single day and incorporating that into how we're managing the portfolios every day mm-hmm both from a return perspective as well as from a risk management perspective, from a credit risk or credit monitoring perspective, having that on a continuous basis is where is why investors invest in dimensional funds.
0: Right. Thank you for sharing. Um, so, you know, it's been great hearing all these uh, answers and definitely sounds like dimensional uh, has put in a lot of thought into portfolio construction on both uh, equity and fixed income. And so I'm just wondering, uh, a lot of times a lot of people say, oh, you know, dimensional is low cost. It sometimes behaves a bit like a passive fund. But uh, I think dimensional does a lot more than a typical index fund. And, you know, is that an accurate, uh, assessment? Oh or yeah. What are your
1: <laughs> so yes I mean we are not just taking market cap weights or just well the biggest thing is I think in a, a tracking fund or an index tracking fund the management of the fund is outsourced mm-hmm. and it's outsourced to you know index providers like S&P or Russell or MSCI and when you think about what their what the motivations are for an an index provider, one of it is to make it easy to track, right? That's mm. the whole goal. And as soon as you have a goal that is not just risk and return, then that additional constraint in our mind makes the makes the potential like how the portfolio is managed subpar, right? So I'll give you an example, um, just about all index funds only reconstitute at certain points in the year. And they generally say, like, hey, here's what we're going to add. Here's what we're going to drop. And then all of the assets that are tracking that index need to get ready to rebalance. Mm-hmm. Why do they do that? It's to make the index easier to track um, because if they just quickly change make changes, then the index trackers can't yeah. implement it. Yeah. But By doing that, you also now introduce the potential for style drift because they're not rebalancing the portfolios every day. Um, There's concentration of the trading. And so you kind of have big trading volumes or footprints during those reconstitution events. Like Mm -hmm. if if there's a lot of assets tracking a particular index, Mm -hmm. they all have to buy or sell the same names at the exact same time. That creates price pressure. That's inefficient. That actually just pulls straight from the fund return, mm. the index return. Um, so I think all of those things are um, are they leave money on the table, and it's due to reasons that like mostly just to have low tracking error. Low tracking error by itself is not. It does not help any investor fund retirement you know (laughs) it's not something that they get to eat right um so i think having a more flexible process is very important having um a philosophy around market prices and market prices are changing every day so how do we incorporate all of that information in a really reliable robust way that follows the research Mm -hmm. all of those things are things that dimensional brings to the table that's above and beyond an index fund Um, there's, I think people also know us to be fairly rules-based, but Mm -hmm. there is a good amount of what I would say human discretion also at play. Mm -hmm. So just thinking about how to deal with various market events, um, in a way that's not like we don't have to wait for the index provider to tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. We can use common sense (laughs) Mm -hmm. and combined with just our, our philosophy to decide, How can we make decisions at dimensional, not waiting for someone else to tell us what to do to maximize expected returns, minimize risk. And that, Mm. that um, that's the value add that I think we bring every single day. And it it, there's in terms of where, where that puts us, it definitely makes it us non tracking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say that puts us in the active camp, but not your traditional active because we're not trying to pick stocks, but we are making decisions every day around risk and return.
0: Right. Well, you mentioned uh, using human discretion mm-hmm. to make some decisions. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could just give a simple example of how that works in Dimensional and uh, so that our viewers can understand sure. uh, how Dimensional you know, is, is different from a passive manager.
1: Yeah, so um gosh, I need to probably refresh my examples, but I'll I'll just I'll I'll, I'll mention one that I think um probably grabbed some headlines, but sure. it's a few years years old now. But GameStop?
0: Oh, GameStop, So the you know, yeah. in the U.S.
1: The, you had all the crazy meme stock stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um so GameStop was a stock that was, you know, a micro cap or small cap. Mm-hmm. Um we held it in the portfolios, but what what happened was, um, you know, the uh, the folks on Reddit yeah. basically tried to do a short squeeze, right? So yeah. they um, really started to pump up the price, mm-hmm. and so it went from being a small cap name into, I think it made it all the way halfway into the S and P five hundred. So wow. it, it it was definitely not a small cap anymore. Yeah, um, and. If you look at what the index funds had to do, they basically just like ha- a small cap index fund. Mm-hmm. They held it, would have rode it all the way up and then back down. Right. Um, whereas at Dimensional, we said, OK, you are now a large cap stock. You don't belong in any of the small cap portfolios. In fact, when you have... Prices run up that much. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? It definitely tells you about lower expected returns. Mm-hmm. So um, so we were able to sell out of that name um, in a flexible way because mm-hmm. we weren't waiting for someone to tell us what to do. Yep. Um, so that's just like a, an extreme example that you don't see every day. Right. But those types of decisions we're making every day. Um, I'll give you a far less sexy example on the um, – like how we're dealing with corporate actions. Uh-huh. So corporate actions uh, is just when a company does something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then, what sometimes the portfolio managers have to make have to make a decision about what to do, mm-hmm. right? What if it's a merger or maybe like a tender offer or there's there are things that we need to do to evaluate, and it's not always automatic, um, mm-hmm. and, or there's not always one right decision. So you do have to pay attention and make elections based on what you think is going to maximize the return to an investor. And that mm-hmm. does take some like attention and it's not purely rules-based. Mm-hmm. So that's the type of thing that we see every single day that we do have portfolio managers taking a look at and making decisions based right. on what's going to provide the highest return.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, yeah, so. Def- dimensional is definitely not your typical index fund at all and it's uh, <laughs> far more very um, different from an index yeah, fund yeah very different from an index fund far more um, active and there's a lot more uh, thought that goes behind all the actions and the portfolio construction we
1: definitely pay a lot of attention to all of these little details yeah. and we do that because we think every basis point matters exactly
0: yeah and I think that that's something that uh, we appreciate at Provident and our clients appreciate too I guess you know, the hot topic of the day or rather past couple of uh, years has been all about you know private investments, private equity uh, and private credit because all these investments have uh, sort of um, delivered pretty good returns but the volatility has not been as high. So these are quite popular also among uh, investors. Uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on uh, alternatives um, and how does dimensional sort of uh, stack up against them and Mm -hmm. are there really factors that allow for high returns and low volatility out there?
1: So I'll just correct one little statement. Perceived volatility (laughs) has not been as high, right? Right. So I I would say that that's the big, the biggest difference is is are you operating in public markets or private markets? So Mm -hmm. in public markets, you have, you get to see the prices every mm-hmm. day because they're always marked to market. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely where Dimensional operates because we want to use the information from market prices. So we, yep. we kind of need market prices in order to add value in the way that we do. Yep. In the private market sector, you because they're private, you don't see market prices. That doesn't every single day. That doesn't mean that there's not that volatility. It just means you don't get to see it. Um, So, I do think that um, some advisors think that is an advantage um, because they don't have to explain returns, but the volatility itself is there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And then uh, you have some. Additional, I think, challenges. So whether it's done well or not relative Mm -hmm. to public markets is, I would say, uh, an empirical question. I kind of would question whether they really have provided higher returns, especially for everyone's experience, because Mm -hmm. there are challenges in measuring the returns exactly for that reason, because you don't actually see Mm -hmm. (laughs) the returns. So um, actually recently our research team has conducted a study just on the returns of, of uh, private, different types of private capital. Mm -hmm. And I'll just summarize the results of what we see in aggregate is quite similar to what um, you might see in different academic papers Mm -hmm. of kind of similar ish maybe, but there's a lot, there's a lot of noise around these of public markets. Um, But the statement around, um, you know, it seems to have dealt, done well, I, I don't want to – there are folks who probably do very well, and then there are folks who do really not so well, mm-hmm. because – that is the biggest character. I, I would say a very big consideration and characteristic of private markets is, it doesn't really matter how well they do on aggregate because nobody gets the aggregate market experience. Right. Right. It's not like private yeah. uh, public markets where it's very easy to invest in a very well diversified pro rata slice of you know you mm. everyone can kind of invest in yeah. the entire public market. Right. You do not get that in private markets. Right. So the value add. So first, there's huge dispersion. Mm -hmm. Um, The top quartile versus the bottom quartile looks Mm -hmm. very different. Mm -hmm. So if you manage to get a top quartile, then yes, you can do a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, But how do you actually get that? Mm. And so that's where, unlike in public markets where you can use market prices, you can have factor Mm -hmm. um, premiums to get outperformance relative to the overall market, In public markets, I think it's far more about selection and picking a good manager. And the thing that I would point out for um, most advisors is how do you then evaluate whether you're getting any kind of adverse selection problems um, as I do think it. we're getting the question a lot from advisors because mm-hmm. a lot of private capital firms are coming downstream mm-hmm. um, and starting to advertise and, and try to get more wealth type of clients Mm. but i i think that that's a very big question of how do you make sure that you um are not getting kind of the dregs the Mm, yeah the worst bits that are left over Mm -hmm. um because Mm -hmm. we do know that the worst bits do underperform public markets by quite a lot so i would say that those are the bit that's the biggest question is is more on the selection how do you avoid a Mm. bad manager
0: Thank you. Thanks mm-hmm. for sharing your insights there. I guess uh, one last question, if mm-hmm. I may, you know, if you were to give our viewers one thing to take away about dimensional, what would that be?
1: Uh, so there, I think dimensional is is unique in our investment philosophy. So there's, at least this is my perception. I'm obviously biased. I've worked at Dimensional for a long time for a reason, because I don't think that I can go to another asset manager at this point, because right. I do think that just the philosophy is what sets us apart. And right. it's very hard to um, kind of contend with this idea that markets do a really good job. Public markets do a really good job. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very hard to outguess markets. Mm-hmm. Um But, and I think that that's getting to be much more well accepted because it's, it is something that is so often reconfirmed in the academic literature. But once you accept that premise, there are two paths. There's the one path where it's, okay, let's do, let's just give up and Mm -hmm. do index. Mm -hmm. But I actually think that that is not The best path, the best path is then how do you harness the power of markets to your advantage? And that's Uh really what Dimensional does. So um, if you believe in markets, if you believe in wisdom of the crowds and you want to use that and not just give up, then Dimensional is going to be the best manager to do that for you.
0: Thank you. Thanks, mm-hmm. Marlena, for joining us today. Uh, I'm Chai Sun, Head of Investment at Provident. And if you want to find out more about how we implement our portfolios using dimensional funds, you can reach out to us uh, at the information provided in the links below. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted broadcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.